When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Connections with Eva Longoria. I'm Eva Longoria, and we have a great episode for you today. I am obviously super connected to the arts, not only acting, but I love to paint and I love to sew. So I feel like I have a really good connection to my artistic side. But today we're going to talk about art and activism and how those two ideas connect. And I first even related those two concepts years ago because of our guest today. She's the one that really informed me of how art and activism go naturally together and how I could use my work to influence change every day in small ways and big ways. And, you know, just like art comes in many different forms, so does activism. There's so many ways we can be politically active or socially active. And I think it's all about driving change, whether that's social or political or environmental or cultural. And I think art's an easy way for us to digest that because art is beautiful and a beautiful way to send a message. So today I'm joined by someone who uses her art to influence change every day. And her name has come up on this podcast so many times because I'm always quoting her. The incredibly talented Fabiana Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Fabiana. Gracias, Eva. I'm so excited because I, I do see you quoting me and I I've always been looking forward to having like an extended conversation around these concepts. Well, we care about so many of the same causes and yeah. you are you are a self-taught artist who mm -hmm. has founded organizations that advance culture, that talk about social justice, about community organizing, about Mother Earth, including the Center for Cultural Power. So I want you to talk about all of these things. But at first, how did you get started as an artist? Because I feel like you came out of the womb artistic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my family is from Peru. Uh, my father was Afro-Peruvian and uh, my parents migrated here uh, in 1968, which was one of, of course, the most transformative years in world history, right? And when I was born in 1978, I was born in Oakland, California, and I lived through the era of the war on drugs, gangs, police brutality. My neighborhood was very polluted. 
And as a kid, I just had an understanding that things were not right. And I actually saw a lot of suffering around me. And yet art, I was always a maker. I love to create. I love to make things. And art was a place for me to escape. It was a place for me to go into my imagination and to also really share what was happening to me, my family and my community. Because mm. when I was growing up, there was no Dora the Explorer. Yeah. You know, there was Frida still. I hardly had heard about Frida. Um, the movie Selena had not come out yet. And so not only were Latinos very invisible in pop culture, but also coming from a mixed race family, we were not visible on Spanish language media. And so for me, art was always a way for me to tell my story and to make visible what was happening. And, you know, when, when my mom noticed I loved to draw, she actually hired a chola who lived down the street, who drew lowriders and, you know, smile now, cry later. And that was my first art teacher. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I would see the muralist, you know, because I grew up in Oakland, this was the home of the Black Panther Party. So black power was still very visible in the 80s and the 90s and hip hop in the streets. And so although my community was suffering, art was a way that we could tell our stories and that inspired me. And so my parents were very much, you know, they supported me artistically, but they were math science. You know, I was in summer science camp after school math <laughs> classes. And when I finally got a full ride to UC Berkeley, going towards architecture, I realized that I just needed to live out my dream. Uh, and the dot-com boom had just happened, 2000. So I taught myself how to code and created my first web design studio. And that kicked off my art studio. And I kind of never looked back. I, I dropped out <laughs> of school and, and I became an artist. <laughs> That's so amazing that your, your parents kind of saw that in you and supported it. Because I think, you know, in the Latino culture, it is like, go get a job, go get that yeah. paycheck, get yeah. out of the barrio. And so it's so beautiful that you had parents that really nurtured that artistic side did you find any, whenever you entered the space, did you find barriers because you were a woman or because you were Latina? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, this is the work I do today. So number one, there was no arts programs in my school, mm. in my school with mostly black and brown kids. Number two is that we were, I was so busy getting my requirements to get into college that having an art class in high school was just not possible. And when I finally decided to go to art school, I went, I flew to New York City to Cooper Union to show them my portfolio. I had not been able to develop a body of work because I didn't have the resources as a teenager or as a child. And so when I finally decided to try to go to art college, well, guess what? Art schools in this country are the most expensive institutions with very little financial aid. And we now know today that very few kids of color are going to art school. So we actually have a problem with barriers all across, and I experienced those. I experienced that I wouldn't get accepted into art school. People didn't understand what I was talking about. Do you think the problems you had when you started art school have changed? Like, have you seen a more accessible world for people of color? Very, very little. And we can, mm. you know, see this just by turning on the television. You know, we get excited because we have shows like Vida or Hentified only to learn, you know, a few seasons in that these shows don't get renewed. And so 
there's a crisis in how power is concentrated in the cultural sector because it's not just film and television. It's the visual arts, it's the performance arts, it's theater, it's music. And it is not reflective of who lives in this country. I mean, we still live in an art world that largely believes in a black and white paradigm, right? They don't yeah. see Latino artists, they don't see Asian artists, they don't see Muslim artists. And so the barriers exist at every single point in an artist's career. And that's actually the reason why I decided to create an organization because we have systemic racism occurring in every single cultural sector. And I think we also have to understand we are in a time of culture war. So people who have their levers on culture, it's a very powerful place to be. And I think a lot of times we think that politics is very powerful, but culture is the most powerful because culture is really where you shape the collective imagination. Right. When did you make that connection? Because that's where I found you. I found a YouTube video of you doing a speech about how culture really affects change, right? Like culture makes policy, not yeah. not policymakers, right? Right. That's correct. <laughs> what is your message about how culture changes societies? Well, you know, my the generation that came before me and, you know, I was mentored by the Black Panthers and they taught me that art and culture shape politics and, you know, when I was growing up in 1994, California was the place where anti-immigrant policy was tested. So I began to draw the connections between what you would see on TV and the anti-immigrant policy, right? And especially in the 80s, I mean, the war on welfare, right? The war on drugs was a cultural war. It was a narrative war. But I would say it was in, in the year 2000, I was very involved in social movements uh, and what I realized is it's not enough for us just to contribute art to social movements. We need to build power in the cultural realm. And so with a lot of other brilliant thinkers, people like Jeff Chang, who's written a lot about this, we decided that it was time to get more sophisticated around how we thought about arts and activism. And we began to write about and really create almost a think tank around the power of culture. And then when we began to understand things like stop smoking campaign, I mean, the reason smoking ended was largely because Hollywood decided to make a pivot. If we think about the AIDS crisis in the 80s, why did it change? It's because the AIDS quilt, right? Narrative storytelling with visuals, you had act up, right? You had all of these cultural moments that helped shift ideas. We also have to recognize in the 80s, Reagan gutted the NEA because remember there was gay artists doing art and he gutted the federal monies for the arts. So we are existing in a country that has systemically divested from the arts. First of all, if we even think about how art started in this country, art uh, started because a lot of the, the white colonial settlers wanted to be like the Europeans. They wanted their museums. A lot of the major white families who made money from slavery, they put their money into major museums, operas, ballets. So a lot of the art institutions in this country for hundreds of years were reflecting one point of view, and it was mainly for the entertainment and uplifting of white culture. And even today, you know, for the first time, Biden elected a Puerto Rican, Maria Rosario Jackson, to help guide the NEA. First time. First yeah. time. So 
we have to understand that cultural infrastructure in this country has not been equitable. And as a result, when we ask ourselves, oh, why do we have such a homophobic culture? Why do we have gender injustice? Why are we still talking about abortion? It's because we have not had the storytelling and the cultural infrastructure to shift hearts and minds. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Speaking of infrastructure, do you think social media has changed all of this? Like now, like I know with you, your Instagram's amazing and super vocal and loud and visual, right? And it feels like now you can disseminate that artistic message, that social justice message, environmental message at the click of a button instead of actually having to do an exhibit, having to get a gallery, having to make posters. Like, how do you think social media is bridged that infrastructure dilemma? Well, what's actually technology, right? And you know this from Web 1.0 actually allowed people to have a presence that didn't before Web 2.0, and now we're moving into Web 3.0. The thing that we have to understand when I talk about equity, let's talk about cultural equity, because cultural equity means that we are represented and it's three things. It's representation, power and access. So we might have representation on Instagram, but I do not have power to change algorithms or to really reach my right. audience. And this is actually why I talk to artists and I really encourage them to create institutions because we need to build our boards. We need long-term wealth, cultural wealth for the next generation. That, that's something that, you know, the artists of the 60s and 70s left very little cultural infrastructure for my generation, but that wasn't their fault. I mean, it was because the United States government really did all it could to, to smash that movement. But not only is it about being represented, it's how are we shaping powerful institutions and then access, access, access. And, and, you know, this has been a big conversation in TV and film is that, yes, yes 
we have a lot of talented people, but what are the access pipelines? And then at the end of the day, if you just have these largely white male boards, how are we really building lasting power for ourselves? Yeah. If we're not the gatekeepers, this happens in publishing. We can't get published as if we're authors, right? Because yep. we're not the gatekeepers of the publishing industry. So there is definitely that problem across all industries. Absolutely. The thing I like about what you do is people can gravitate to art and they don't know why. They think yeah. it's aesthetically pleasing. They like the color. They like the sculpture. They like the whatever it is. And then when you explain to somebody, well, you know, this is representative of the oppression of women as this woman comes out from the flower. And then they go, oh, it's so, it's such an easy way into getting people to think differently. Yeah. And I can, I can explain why that is. So first, yeah. as human beings, since the beginning of time, we have been sitting around fires, telling stories and writing on capes. We are wired for storytelling. It is a part of our DNA. What neuroscience teaches us is that when the human body reacts with senses, whether it's their emotions, visually, like what you taste, what you hear, your body has a reaction that actually attunes you to change your mind, right? This is why when you watch very powerful documentaries or you might hear a song that just moves you, there is something that is sparked in you. That is the power of art. And that touches people much more than a 10-page report. And this is very important for us to understand because it means that as human beings, not only are we wired for storytelling, but we have to be very mindful of what kind of stories we tell. And as we learned from the last administration, very actively, people can use cultural tools against us. You can activate white nativism I mean, you know, Trump was an extremely powerful storyteller. And even the idea of make America great again, it's a very compelling narrative. And this is how humans work. And I think sometimes in politics, we think like, well, we have the data, we have the information. If we're not speaking to people's hearts and making art and culture and really doing it at a scale that can compete with our opposition, because our opposition is investing in culture you see it through their radio shows, through the YouTube shows. I mean, they are going big in gaming. Yeah. I can't even, you know, it's, we're not, we're not doing that at scale. And it's, it's part of the reason why we're, we're not winning. Well, I, and you know, it's so interesting you say that because there's symbols that I feel certain parties have hijacked. Like I love the American flag. But I get anxiety if I see sometimes an American flag somewhere and I'm like, oh no, that's a Trump supporter, right? Well, I was like, no, I'm patriotic. Why, why can't I have an American flag outside my house without it being hijacked? Why did they hijack the word patriot, right? I'm a patriot. Yeah. A red baseball hat gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they're like, no, no, that's just a Boston fan or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I get These symbols are kind of related, right? Yeah, symbols and language. I mean, you know, one thing that I am really heartbroken about is how they co-opted the notion of life. Oh, of, of being pro-life. The marketing, the marketing of that. We lost the market, oh, the pro-choice yeah. people. Every, I'm pro-life too. We're Me all too. And you know, pro-life. Like, well, in, a, and not just that, but in the age of climate crisis, we need to protect all of life, including our forests, our oceans, our rainforests. And it's, we, we are at a real intersectional point where we have to take it back. 
And those things can happen. I believe they can happen, but you're right. Think about the power of symbols. And on our side, the power of the fist, the pink triangle, the symbol of the earth. These are symbols that already activate a memory in us. And I also believe it's because I think nature, of course, is the most powerful. You know, when we see butterflies, there is something happening in our DNA. We just know that it's a powerful symbol. Well, it's interesting because you have to really think about how your words have power. And so just like art can obviously affect you, words too have emotional poison. Yeah, language. Well, when language. I talk about culture, yeah. it's actually, it's everything. It's language, music, symbols, even, you know, how we express ourselves, our movements. And this is why I think when we're thinking about building cultural power, we have to use all of these tools. And it's just as important as who you elect and how you get marching in the streets and protesting. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What are some of the most powerful art movements you've seen well, you, you're doing this the beautiful thing, the park that you're doing. Yeah, so this has been a really wonderful project for me because I grew up in a polluted community that is mostly Black and Latinx. My community lives eight years less than people just two miles up who are mostly in white communities. And I still live in the neighborhood I grew up. Uh, and I think to myself always, you know, we didn't have any voice in deciding which freeways got built. And overwhelmingly, when you think about climate crisis, the truth is that it's black and brown and immigrant communities who live in neighborhoods without trees. They live near oil extraction sites. We live next to freeways. We are being poisoned. And because I grew up in a concrete city, I hardly had access to nature. In fact, there's hardly any trees in my neighborhood. And so as I've been becoming an environmentalist over the last decade, I really realized that at the core of our fight for Mother Earth is rebuilding and healing our relationship to nature. And the national parks, 
like many institutions after 2020, when this country had a moment of racial reckoning, the National Parks recognizes its problematic history of exclusion. And in San Francisco, the Presidio National Park, which was actually built on a former military site that was polluted, it got cleaned up. And I got invited to help imagine what is the park of the future, where people from all over California can come. And so my project, what it was, it was actually around recognizing that what that land was, right? Before colonization, before the Spanish came, before the, the colonists came during the gold rush, it belonged to the Ohlone people. And there was elk and mountain lions and grizzly bears. And so I wanted to honor that history because what my project is about is we can't repair the future unless we look to the past. And we have to have truth and reconciliation, whether it's around slavery, whether it's around what happened on these lands, the theft, the genocide of indigenous people, because today in the age of climate crisis, it's indigenous people who are protecting the world's biodiversity. So I created this installation and it's just wonderful. I mean, when people go, when the children go, they just are really taken aback by the colors. This is the first thing they say. They say, oh, the colors. And I say, yes, I actually wanted to disrupt the sterility of this park. And as a Latina, you know, my mom would bring me mulas from Panama. My mom would bring me little sculptures from El Salvador. We would go to Mexico, like color is a part of my culture. And so it helped the project at the National Park is a huge success. And I'm working with a project also in Hollywood. It's called the Climate Storytelling Playbook around how oh. do we tell more stories about Mother Earth? Because sadly, you know, Hollywood has done a horrible job. From yeah. 2016 to 2020, less than 3% of scripted TV shows even mentioned climate. And we are in the age of climate catastrophe. And if Hollywood is around the story of humans today, we have to talk about climate change. And so for me, I see my work as really helping to give artists tools to talk about the most challenging issues of our time, which, of course, includes climate. Right. So speaking of that, when you're like, there's a lot of factors that are working for evil, right? Like there's a lot yeah. of people, lobbyists, corporations, money hungry people. What can the normal human being do? What would you love to see people do more of in relation to art and activism? Well, the beautiful thing about art and culture is that we are not about an issue, right? We're not about just climate change or abortion or just racial justice. The power that we have as artists and as creators is we can imagine a different kind of world. We can imagine a world in which all human beings can thrive in harmony with nature. The most wonderful thing about being an artist is that we can have an idea that maybe is not politically feasible now, but it allows us to dream. It allows us to move the conversation, to change the narrative. And so I really encourage people to leverage the power of their imagination and to imagine what kind of world do you want to see and how are you manifesting that? How are you supporting artists? You know, I want to see a world in which all genders are included. So for me, it's very important to fight for transgender rights, to support transgender content creators, 
for me, as somebody who recognizes that we live in a world that really mistreats people with disabilities, I want to make sure that I'm including that in my worldview, that I'm following disabled artists, that I'm, I'm helping to watch television shows that feature these stories. And so I think that we can learn the best of art and think about the future that we want and then see what artists are helping us get there. We are at a time of cultural change that's unprecedented in our human history. And that's the intersection of pandemic, global economic crisis, global racial reckoning and climate catastrophe around the world. And so people are becoming disillusioned. We're pulling back the curtain on these systems and saying these systems actually don't work. But what are the stories that we are presenting instead? Right. We can't mm -hmm. just be about our no. We have to be about our yes. And what yeah. does our yes look like? I know you were involved in Time's Up. We know that we don't want a world of sexual harassment. We don't want sexual abuse. But what kind of world do we want? What yeah. does a sexually healthy culture look like? And how are we supporting those kinds of stories, you know, artists, content makers? And so I invite people to really think about your yes and Try to manifest that. You can find the artist. You can live those values out in your own life because that's the power of art and that's how we can inspire each other. It's so great. You also have a lot of video guides on your website of how to get involved. That's too. correct. So if people want to go to Fabiana.com, it's such, you have such a great Instagram, it, it, like your whole aesthetic is so, of <laughs> course, you're an artist. It's so beautiful, but it's welcoming. Like it's super cheerful and happy and it's not preachy and it's like come in let me let me show you some stuff yeah i just think it's so beautiful well i love i feel like i'm a i'm a joyful person and i'm very much about my yes and for me my yes is about joy it's about transforming the world we can do it in a joyful way it's a very feminine way of leading and you know when i was growing up there was a lot of men and it was about you know fighting and struggling and that was what we needed at the time, but today we need a different kind of leadership and we need a leadership that is soft and is loving and caring, just like Mother Earth. I feel like if we can mimic nature and we can be interconnected and caring and center care and think about the next generation and center our joy, that that's a very different kind of transformation that we can achieve. And so that's what I try to embody and be as an artist. And I, I feel so lucky to be an artist because I can lead in a different way and show people another future and I can make it like, it's not just in my brain, it's in what I create with my hands. And so, you know, one last thing I would actually share with your listeners is that we really need more people of color to support their children in being creatives. We need the next generation of creatives to really be bold because they're going to be going up against an old infrastructure, but we need them. It's not just yeah. about math and science and law, you know? By the way, studies show that math and science improve when you are artistic as well, or art oh, yeah. really supports <laughs> the brain in abstract ways that helps math and science. So totally. I, I totally agree. So the last question I usually ask all of my guests is what is a book you would recommend people to read? I would recommend the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And I really love this book because 
it has helped me understand indigenous worldview around how we relate to the environment. And as an environmentalist, I've been really collaborating and supporting indigenous leadership. And I've been trying to think about what is it that feels different? And it's actually understanding that the natural world, the trees, the oceans, everything we grow is a very dynamic body. And if we can learn to tune in, we will have not only a better, healthier relationship with ourselves, but we will just have a wonderful relationship with the world around us. And so I've been very, very transformed by that book. It changed the way I garden. I wow. learned about the three sisters. I learned about, you know, the Baiz. And it's, it's just helped me really value my time in nature. Wow. That's such a beautiful idea. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. And, you know, Robin Wall Kimmer is one of the leading Indigenous women thinkers that is really helping folks have a different language to how we connect to nature. Yeah. Which is so important. I mean, yeah. Just standing outside barefoot is, you know, oh, yeah. not, not growing done something. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Fabiana, for speaking with me today. I adore you and I applaud everything you're doing. Thank you, Eva. And thank you so much also for being a champion to so many women of color. I mean, you not only talk about it, you be about it. So I really appreciate this time with you. Thank oh. you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to be connected with you. Connections with Eva Longoria is a production of Unbelievable Entertainment in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. La cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar 20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.